This is the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor is to be able to welcome people into the community of faith through the waters of baptism. There is really no greater privilege for me. And I've had the opportunity to welcome countless members over the course of my career in multiple congregations. I've been able to baptize my own sons and some of my nephews. Indeed, I've been baptizing people in sanctuaries, but also even in ICU rooms. I'll never forget the opportunity that I was offered, the sacred space of baptizing a husband of 40 years in the room next to the bed where his wife was soon to take her final breaths. It's those moments as a pastor that really, really stick with you, those moments that really feel quite spirit-filled and spirit-led. And over the years, I've been led to develop a sort of pastoral process in my ministry for how it is that I approach handling baptisms. And it goes a little something like this. I wait to be asked by someone to say, hey, could you baptize my child? Or could you baptize me? And then I say, yeah, now that you've asked, sure. Then we set a time to meet and we have what I call my Christological crash course where we sit down and and talk about our baptismal theology, its meaning and our roles in it, and then take an opportunity to look over the service and ask any questions. Then we plan a service, a service during the Sunday assembly, during our regularly scheduled worship so that the whole community can celebrate together. Until, of course, COVID hit. And now most of this process has kind of changed, especially that last part about actually doing the baptisms. Because now baptisms are happening in private ceremonies with Zoom assemblies in some cases. I'm doing them in backyards and back lawns on Saturday afternoons, whatever it takes. In other words, the spirit in this moment has led me and has led us as a community to maybe rethink the process, to not be so rigid and allow a little bit more space for the spontaneity the Spirit brings to literally, in some cases, meet people where they are. People tend to be in their backyard, so that's where we take the Spirit. Today, Philip meets a man where he is along the road traveling from Jerusalem. This unnamed man is simply referred to by our author as an Ethiopian eunuch. And as a biblical scholar, my antennas immediately go up and I think to myself, Oh, I get it. This man is meant to be different. They told us that fact because they wanted us to see that this man is an outsider. And so I know exactly where we are heading 
next. And this, unfortunately, is often the case when we meet people who are different from us or the other in relationship to us, that our understanding of them is limited to a few individual and superficial markers. In this case, it's limited to nationality and physical characteristic. But in our larger society, we see this all the time. We label people in groups by their socioeconomic status, by their sexual orientation and gender identity or expression, by the color of their skin. Indeed, the truth is, of course, that we are all far more complex than a few social markers or even the sum of those social markers. That indeed, we are all individuals. And the best way to know somebody is to be in relationship with them, to get to actually know who they are so you can dig deeper than what we see quickly and superficially. And this interaction that Philip has shows that the focus for Philip is not this man's country of origin or even his physical being, but it goes far beyond that to a person, a person who's deeply faithful, so faithful that he's traveling to Jerusalem in a pilgrimage of prayer, a person who's educated enough to read scripture, but also smart and humble enough to be able to ask for help in clarifying what the scriptures actually mean, a person with a vocation, with a calling in life that pays well. I mean, he's riding in a chariot, after all, and works for the queen's court. And this person is in this chariot is also a hospitable individual, indeed inviting Philip into the chariot. And in the entirety of the interaction, Philip not once dwells on who he thinks this person is or those characteristics that the author shares. Instead, the connection is found in that shared foundation of faith that they have. Indeed, Philip also recognizes that because of that shared foundation, there's a golden opportunity to do the thing the Spirit has called him to do, proclaim the good news. Now, that good news is probably going to be pretty important, as it turns out. This text that this man is studying, and the Savior, the, the good news that he's been shared, indeed maybe speaks speaks to the experiences of someone who's suffered injustice, someone who's suffered humiliation, to someone who's literally been cut off from relationship with others. And I think the most amazing thing about this text is how quickly that good news sinks in and takes root. How is the moment this man hears it, he wants to have a relationship with Christ and seeks an opportunity to do that and sees it the moment he passes water, wants to be baptized. Now notice, though, the process for baptism here isn't anything like the process I had. It wasn't a, a formal meeting or forms to be filled out. It wasn't a careful scheduling and working of a larger liturgy and, and the purchasing of special outfits to ensure we match the tradition of those who've been baptized before us. But instead, it's an immediate desire, immediate desire to experience the liberating love of Christ. And so he sees that water and says, look, there's water. What or who is to prevent me from being baptized? God, I love the enthusiasm. And this question, though, who or what is to prevent me from being baptized got me thinking. Have I ever been the reason someone hasn't been baptized? Or, or the institution that I'm a part of prevented someone from being baptized or, or worse yet, experiencing their faith? I mean, I'm willing to baptize just about anyone who comes and asks, 
and I'm working on the ask part actually that maybe I'll start asking more myself. I mean, the ELCA has been ordaining women for over 50 years and members of the LGBTIQ plus community now for over 10. So, I mean, doesn't that mean that all people can do this, right? That all people can experience the fullness of their faith? I mean, all people have opportunity at our church, right? Maybe, but they're not equal opportunities. And the processes that we've laid out aren't always fair, and the system isn't always just either. I know I have opportunities that people who are different than me definitely don't have, and access and privilege in certain realms without a doubt. I mean, we love to sing and say all are welcome, but I know for a fact that there are plenty of congregations, and perhaps on certain days even our own, that maybe not all people are welcome. It's one thing to say or to sing it. It's another thing to live it out. And the truth is, for those who are labeled as other by society, this question that this man from Ethiopia asks is a pretty important one. What is to prevent me, or who is to prevent me, from experiencing baptism, or Christ, or my faith? It's a question that comes from a place of deep hurt and experience. It's a vulnerable question to ask, but it's a paramount one because it essentially asks, is this a space or place or community for me? I remember very clearly a particular guest that we had uh, one Sunday um, in my first call. Now, you have to remember, in a smaller community, it was rare that you would really get a guest, let alone one who you didn't already know from town, because we lived in a town the size where pretty much everyone, some way, shape, or form, knew everyone else. And I did what any good pastor does in that situation. I played it real slow. I made sure to introduce myself, but I waited until our second meeting to ask him to be my council president. No, I'm, I'm joking. That's a third meeting, sort of an ask, of course. But regardless, what happened is eventually I began to realize that this man knew his way around the Lutheran liturgy, knew how to use a hymnal, and had an excellent singing voice to boot. And even later on, this man finally, after worshiping a few Sundays, came up and asked me if we could meet. And I know, I know, it should be the other way around. But again, I'm growing, right? I'm learning as I go. And so we met. And it was an opportunity for us to get to know each other and to get to know the congregation potentially that he would be seeking to maybe join if things worked out a certain way. And we did this a few times, and I really enjoyed it, getting to know this man. And finally, though, I could tell at our third meeting something was different. He began to shift pretty uncomfortably in his seat, and he looked me in the eyes and said, Pastor, I need, I need to be honest with you. I need to tell you something. I'm not who you think I am. I actually identify as a woman, but because I'm unsure how people here would respond to me if I dressed how I truly am, I've hidden it until this time. What do you think about that? And, you know, how do you think the congregation would respond if I did come dressed as who I really am? And what I heard in that question is the very question that the man from Ethiopia asks this day. Indeed, who what is to prevent me from being a member of this congregation, a member of the worshiping body here? Because he went on to explain how elsewhere she wasn't invited. She wasn't welcomed in. 
She didn't have those opportunities to experience her faith fully. And being new, I looked at her and I said that I don't know how this congregation will respond. I'm new here. I haven't fully come to grasp all those relationships or the, or the positions that people take socially and politically. I can't promise anything. But what I can promise, I guess, is that I'm here and I support you for who you are and that I will continue to support you and defend you in case anyone does disagree with who you are. And the amazing thing was this. We had a plan to move forward together. And soon she revealed her true self to the congregation. And very quickly, there were deep friendships that were formed. She became a beloved member of the choir and a talented artist who provided for us the artwork for many bulletin covers that are still being used for special occasions even yet this day from what I understand. And the truth of the matter was, Nothing could stop her from being who she was. Because who she was, who she is, and who we all are is beloved children of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.